This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I'm married up. And I also am married to my best friend. That's the title of the message today. And if you uh, have a bulletin, you can take notes on the back or you can look it up on version under live events for the Church of Indian Lake. I get lots of wedding invitations um, because I officiate several weddings a year and then being in the ministry for a while and a youth pastor, um, start getting a lot of wedding invitations. And it's very common to see this on a wedding invitation, this quote, today or this day, I marry my best friend. In fact, I think that um, that was on our wedding invitation, wasn't it? You just ruined my illustration, but uh, we'll go. Well, I do remember this. I remember our wedding invitation very clearly uh, because I remember it better than her because I'm more in love with you than you are with me. So I remember it, and this is proof. So I do remember this wedding invitation because we discovered something none of our friends knew about this, this new technology known as a, a digital, now I'm flustered, <laughs> a digital scanner, a digital scanner. So we scanned some pictures of us when we were little kids and put a, a nice scripture verse. And what I remember it saying was, I'm marrying my best friend. Now, the only problem with that is when I wrote that or we wrote that supposedly, and when we get that from other wedding invitations, um, I think it's more of a hopeful statement than a definitive statement. Uh, Because when I got married, the day I got married, I only had known that Beth Hall existed for 14 months. Uh, I spent a lot of time with her, most of my time at that time, and I enjoyed being around her. But to say she was my best friend, um, it was more hopeful. I think we like the idea of a best friend and our spouse being our best friend when we need to project an image and we, when we need to market. But what I've discovered is most married people uh, don't refer to their spouse as their best friend, especially male married people. We use phrases like this. We call, instead of calling our wife our best friend, we call it the, the, the ball and chain, the old lady. A buddy of mine from college, he, at age 25, he was calling his wife the old lady. I knew they were in trouble then. <laughs> um, we, we referred to our wedding ring, have you heard this one, as the world's smallest handcuff? <laughs> so use all of these phrases, and, and we begin, some of these are just sloppy language. We, we begin to give these kind of uh, cultural nicknames to our spouse, but we rarely, as men, call our wives our best friend. In fact... I can only think of one person I know that's actually said that. I was at a lunch with, with someone, a friend of mine, and, and the phone rang. It was obvious it was his, his wife, and I said something sarcastic about this interrupting the lunch. And he said, hey, uh, that's my best friend. Let me get that. Put me in my place, no doubt about that. Uh, that's the only one I can recollect, recollect of, of a male calling their wife a best friend. Hopefully, uh, hopefully some of you have. I had a, a lady correct me after the first service, and she said, well, when you've been married 40 or 50 years, you really do that. And so that, that could be the case. But, but by and large, just that's been my experience. Now, for ladies, I don't think you really call 
your, your men some kind of goofy nickname. I don't hear women call their husbands or spouses names. What, what I observe a lot of is a lot of sighing, kind of this. <sighs> Can I just tell you, that sigh says a whole lot more than our silly nicknames. Facial expressions, sighs, rolling of the eyes, phone conversations with moms. Now, that does happen also. There's no doubt about that. But it's rare that we call our spouse our best friend. And I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Because Proverbs chapter 2 has a, a, a word that I want you to learn to today that is really amazing. You know, the term best friend is really kind of a juvenile term in a lot of ways. Honestly, if, if I started reflecting on my life and God's blessed me with a lot of great friends. In fact, I, w- I was trying to think of the different weddings I've been in. And I've been seven or eight to seven or eight guys, their best man. I've literally lost count of how that's worked out. So you could, you could, you, I could easily come up with 20 people that I've called my best friend before. So, so it's kind of a juvenile term. I mean, we use my BFF, my best friend forever, uh, as if these, these type of social arrangements are eternal. And as children or junior high students, so we're always changing our best friend. So I try to use the term now, my closest friend or one of my closest friends, because here's the irony about it, is that we use the term best friend very casually and and interchangeably uh, with the different types of relationships we have. But there's a reluctance to use it in the one relationship where it's the most appropriate. And that's in the covenant relationship between a man and a woman. And for whatever reason, whether it's a social stigma whether it's our sloppiness, whether it's just, I don't know, um, something that we've inherited, uh, behavior we've inherited before us, to, to admit as a man that my wife's my best friend, we, we, we simply don't do that as we should. So we go to Proverbs chapter 2, which is a very dark, harsh warning. It's warning against adultery. We're not dealing with the subject of adultery today, even though it obviously applies to to a marriage sermon, but we see here in the scripture that the one who wrote Proverbs, or this portion of Proverbs, said it this way. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. That word companion in the Hebrew is the word alop, which means this, it means a best friend or, or better yet, more clearly, would be a close confidant, a special confidant. Now, now, this seems really comfortable to us, but let's think about this in context. This was at the time when marriage was seen, seen as a social contract, uh, a business dealing, um, a way to increase a family status. Uh, a husband's property, a wife was very much viewed as a husband's property. But here in Proverbs 2.17, as we're learning the wisdom of avoiding adultery, it refers to the wife who forsakes the companion, the alop, the best friend of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. I, I want you to see this clearly because it is not just for this elite 1% 
gooey, perfect couple that says, that's my best friend, that's my wife, and he's my best friend, and, and it makes the rest of us sick, and we're all jealous and all that. No, that's not what this is about. This is biblically centered in this idea of a, a confidant, a companion. This is not just a business contract. This is not a social arrangement. This is a companionship birthed from God. And that's why the first thing that I want you to write down or I want you to notice in your U version is this, is that I'm going to give you three statements about your spouse today. The first one is this, my spouse is my best friend. Now, a couple of things I want us to note as we're, we're organizing this message and, and we're moving forward. We, we are a community of, of both singles and married. And I just want to say right up front as your pastor that if you are single now because of divorce or you're single now because of calling, because for some of us that's a spiritual gift, or if you're single now because you're in waiting, you are not incomplete you are not less valuable. You are an important part of this community. And one of the things I don't want us to ever communicate is, is this is just a couple's church. Okay? We honor marriage through last week's sermon, this week's sermon, some other things we're doing. We honor marriage. We honor marriage, but we don't set it up as idolatry. We, we understand that it's from God. It's instituted from God. And so it's important that we all see this together. The other thing I want you to note is I know that when I say marriage, you know, I'm married to my best friend. That is not the, the deepest theological point you're ever going to hear in this church. Um, it feels very surfacy and very shallow at first. But in prayer and meditation on this, I believe this is very deep. Very deep. Because a small change in attitude a small change in perspective, a small change in your worldview could have a huge impact on the way you live your life. And there's a shifting that's going to happen this morning. I really believe in my heart that, that God wants several of us, many of us, to shift our perspective on either our current marriage or a future marriage he's preparing for us. And that shifting, though it might appear small, it is going to be huge in your life. In fact, this could be a transformational day. Simply beginning to view your wife as your best friend. Simply changing your attitude towards marriage and viewing your future marriage as joining a best friend could change the way you live your life for the rest of your life. That's powerful. The word of God comes to judge the attitudes of our heart. It's a mirror in our face. So this is big, okay? I, I just want you to know, I just felt like I wanted to pause and say, this isn't some kind of, kind of cutesy rhyming thing that I did. Your wife's your best friend. No, th this, this statement was brought forth with tears and with, um, with life experience through going through counseling with people, through going with counseling with Beth, through us working through our issues, it's a huge thing when you begin to see that God has given you a lifelong companion and that both your current marriage or your future marriage, your spouse is supposed to be your best friend. So in order to establish that, I want us to look at this. What is a friend? That's really important. What is a friend? I want us to look at that because if your spouse is going to be your closest friend, your best friend, we need to see what God says about that. I want to share a couple of classic scriptures that will be great anchors for you in your marriage. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says it this way, a friend loves at all time. 
And a brother is born for adversity. This is the tried and true tested, uh, tested barometer of friendship. Your friends are going to be there for you when tough times come. When everyone else bells for you, bells on you, the people that are still there for you are your friends. That's the end of the story. And it's always good to know the end of the story before we get to the beginning. So the end of the story is you don't really know who your friends are until you go through some tough times. When you're popular and when, you're, uh, when you have a lot of influence, a lot of money and, and a lot of prestige, uh, you don't know who your, fr- your friends are. You've got a lot of people around you, but it's when everyone else has turned their back on you that you find out who your friends are. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Those, some of you who have been through the pain of divorce, you know that all too well. You know that in this, this couple's world we live in, that people who were your friends when you're married aren't your friends when you're single, and that's just too bad. That's tragic. That's not God's will. Another, another scripture that's an anchor for us today is Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That, again, is the end. We know that there, there, there are going to be lots of people around us. There's going to be lots of people in our lives, people coming in and out. And you know that from those of you who are in the workforce, your work friends, it's really strange. It's like you spend all this time with them during the day and maybe even years, and then one day it just is all over and you don't really keep up with them. Those are just people in and out of your life. Sometimes just by, by the, the, the pure uh, happenstance of proximity, people are involved in your life. They're, they're there, they're companions, but friendship means they're going to stick with you during the tough times. So that's the end. And that, that's where, for all of our friendships, that's what we're looking for, the end results, and that is certainly what we're looking for in marriage. Now let's go and let's just talk a little bit about how marriages, excuse me, friendships, simply friendships, how they come about. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has some great insight in this in his book, The Four Loves, uh, which also other writings of his, he has some great insights. Friendships come about and they start when you begin to have a common interest. It's really, really simple. Uh, It has to be about something. Lewis says this quote, let's read it together. He says this, friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes. This is the 1950s, he wrote this. The reason I put dot, 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 it says dominoes and white rice, or, or white, let me just move on. Okay, sorry. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. The idea is this, is that, is that a friendship starts when there's a common affinity. Side by side, you stand with somebody, and you look at something, and you say, you too? You like that music? You too, you, you, you enjoy this coffee shop. You too, you have this world perspective. And that is the genesis of a relationship. Uh, things, need to be, things need to be reinforced through repetition and through, through time. But a friendship must be about something. There has to be a reason that the friendship starts. Where you both look at something and say, yeah, me too. I identify with that. I identify with why you're interested in this. I identify why you have an affinity for this type of food. Yeah, I like to travel too. Traveling is is great. I love getting on the water. I love water sports in the summer. We have a basis for our friendship. We have a basis to build our friendship. I remember uh, when I first met the the man who was the best man in my wedding, and 
Correspondingly, I was in his. It was my seventh grade. I had never been to public school before. And we were in the locker room getting ready for football. This guy was a quarterback on our team, and I heard him tell some of the other guys who were cussing. He said, hey, guys, we don't want any cussing in this locker room. So I'm a Christian, and, and I just don't think that's a good thing for us to do. And I thought, hey, me too, right? Me too. That, that's my worldview. That's the way I see things. And so we connected and went to a Russ Taft concert, if you've ever heard of him, after that. And uh, <laughs> that was a common interest. And, and, and to this day, he's one of my closest friends. So you find something, say, yeah, me too. Now, why is this important? This is important because if you want God's vision for a lifelong relationship where your spouse is your best friend, that common interest needs to be a good thing. It needs to be a good thing. Okay, if it's just a lust and a common interest is we want a sexual encounter together and, that leads, and that's the only thing that leads to marriage, it's not a good thing to start. If it's just money, the common interest is, hey, if I get with that person, you like money too? Me too. All right, let, let's both, I'm gonna get richer by being with you. If it's about career advancement and you look together and say, say oh yeah, you're gonna help me advance in my career, me too. See, those things change. Those things aren't eternal. Those things don't last. It's okay, obviously, that friendships are based off common interest and, and music is a powerful thing. Don't discount that. And entertainment and different affinities. But we are God's people. So what I just shared with you is some earthly wisdom that's helpful and valuable. But we're God's people and we're led by the Holy Spirit of God and we're following the way of the cross. So Timothy Keller expands this thought and, and he says this quote I want us to read together. He says, Christian friendship is not simply about going to concerts together or enjoying the same sporting event. It is the deep oneness that develops as two people journey together towards the same destination, helping one another through the dangers and challenges along the way. So what is that common point as you're standing side by side with your spouse and you're both looking at something and saying, me too, me too. What is that? As believers, that's the way of the Lord. That's the word of God. That's the power of the mission of the local church. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. All those other things have value. And it's a value that we have those things. And I'll address that more in just momentarily. But even if you're in a marriage right now where you feel like you have nothing in common, nothing in common with your spouse, either for whatever reason that's happened, you've drifted apart, or maybe, maybe there, there was just some huge incompatibility issues from the beginning. And you feel like you have nothing in common with your spouse. Let me tell you something. If you are following Jesus Christ, you have the greatest thing in common. Your spouse is not just your husband or wife. They're also your brother or sister in Christ. And you're standing together and you're saying, we can agree on this. We can get into God. We can get into prayer. We can get into the mission of the local church. We can get into reaching people for the gospel. 
We are going to the same place. We're going to the heavenly city. We're going to the same person. We're going to Jesus Christ, who's going to wipe away all our tears, who's going to uh, make all of our weaknesses dissipate in the light of his holiness and glory. We're going to the same place. I'm telling you this, that's the hope of the gospel, that whatever situation you are in your current marriage, when you focus on Jesus, you're going the same place. You're going the same direction, and that's a wonderful thing. So building on that, for those of you who are in the process of mate selection or for those of you now who are in the rigors of a marriage, why is this important? Because we've got to build. We have to have that common interest. It's not simple enough just to think, oh, we're in some kind of social contract and we're just going to stay together until the kids uh, get, out of, get out of school or we're going to stay together until our our, our 401k grows a little bit more. We're going to stay together because we can't afford two house payments and we're just going to get by. No, it's not, it's not that. It's about cultivating, developing, building a friendship uh, because your spouse is your best friend. It's your alop. It's your companion. It's the one that knows you like no other person. It's the one that God has designed you to have a great friendship with. But until you change your attitude and realize that of all the friends God's going to give you in this world, of all the different friends that are meaningful to you, including your own mother and father, including your own blood brother or sister, those relationships are important, but those relationships are not as important as the spouse he's given you. And you have to make your spouse a priority and put them first and allow God to develop that relationship I read a lot of uh, biographies and listen to a lot of business leaders who, by nature of their success, are in the twilight of their careers. And so I'll hear them reflect upon their careers. And there's been a common thread in almost every biography, especially autobiographies, where we get to the matters of the heart. With every candid statement when someone's reflecting on their career, I've noticed a common thread. I've seen it in Men like Jack Welch, who's a legendary CEO of GE. I've also seen it in a man like Billy Graham, who's probably the most quoted and admired Christian of the 20th century, now the 21st century. They all have this same thing. They'll say this, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Ronald Reagan said it. These are all names you know, but there's Dozens of other names you wouldn't know of successful men that I've had the privilege to talk to. And that theme, that theme recurs in my life. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Here's the truth. You cannot build a family and you cannot build a best friend, a, a friendship with your wife where she's your best friend or your husband's your best friend if you're living life on the run. Can't do it. If you're living life on the go, if you don't take time to invest and prioritize, that's why the second thing I want you to write down is this, second statement about your spouse, your spouse now and your future spouse is this, my spouse is my focus. My spouse is my focus. So much to say here. I just want to tell you this is that, is that your kids are a common interest. You and your spouse as best friends should stand together and say, yeah, you too. We believe in our kids, but your kids can't be your focus. They can be a focus. They can't come before your spouse. Because guess what? They leave. 
They leave. I've come to this realization, well, I've come to this realization that, that my relationship with Beth is really the only relationship I can count on. It really is. Because even my children, when they become adults, right now my children are age 8, 9, and 11. So there's going to come a time where I don't know what choices they're going to make and how much they're going to be involved in my life. I hope they're very involved, especially my little girl. I've already told her I don't want her to move outside of uh, Middle Tennessee, but I can't control that. I can't control that. But I can't control what type of relationship I have with Beth because she's the one that's going to stick around as long as I'm behaving and treating her well. And she's following Jesus and I'm following Jesus. So our spouse is our focus. That's why Galatians 6.2, I love what it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We love to apply that to community life. Yeah, we're the church. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to fix each other's problems. But what I've seen often is that there's been men and women who will bear each other's burdens in the context of Christian community, but they'll not bear the burden of the spouse that they live with. See, it's easy to apply some of these scriptures to community life and say, you know what, I'm going to be available. I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to serve the hurting in our community. And, and I'm going to get involved in my church community. And I'm going to make sure that uh, people who have needs. We're going to be the church and we're going to be God's people. And we're going to be engaged. We're going to be involved. And it's so intoxicating that you don't bear the burden of the one who's living with you, the burden of the one you're in relationship to. That's a weakness that all of us can face. See, marriage is about encouragement. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says it this way, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Again, we see that only in the context of community life. Yeah, let's be people who encourage. And yet we often don't encourage our own spouses. When I was in college, my first ministry job, I was a children's pastor at uh, a town called Paola, Kansas. It was a small town and a, and a mid-sized church, a nice-sized church, but it was a small town about 45 minutes from my college. I'd go there on Sunday mornings and do the children's ministry, and then they had Sunday night services, and so I was on the preaching rotation once every three weeks. I preached the Sunday night service, and it was my time to learn how to do adult ministry, and things went really well. Uh, God opened a window to my future, and I had success in speaking to adults, speaking to people my parents' age, my grandparents' age, and all of that went really well, and you would feel this energy uh, after service. Everyone would compliment you, and this, this kind of life and energy and, and exciting thing, adrenaline rush and anointing and birthing a sermon and that whole deal. Then I had a long 45-minute drive home. And as a young minister, that's when I learned uh, some of the dynamics of speaking working under the anointing, all that type of stuff where a cloud can come over you after you've really given out. And you can apply that to different aspects of your professional career. And so I would have kind of this cloud of loneliness come over me and kind of a cloud of just, uh, just, just, it felt, it was a dark, kind of a dark place where I felt very lonely and, and I really wanted some encouragement. And God was so gracious because early in my ministry, uh, I met Beth, and, and we've been married going on 14 years in May. Is that right? Even though you don't remember our wedding invitation, at least you remember that. Uh, and, and 
You know, one of the, one of, one of the things, a little, a little secret about public speaking, when you begin to speak frequently, I speak two times a Sunday, and last year I spoke every Wednesday just about, and, and there's been other times when speaking has been more frequent because of, of weddings and other, other types of, uh, of engaged speaking opportunities. You kind of get tired of hearing yourself speak. I mean, you just do. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I am tired of words. Uh, and, and solitude is an important thing because you get tired of words. Now, that's bad for me. Can you imagine what it's like for a pastor's wife? I mean, can, I mean, that is a gift to have to listen to me preach all these years, all these services, all these different environments. And then on top of that, for her to know, to know, you know my weaknesses and my mistakes and things of those nature. So I say all of that because this scripture reminds me of what Beth has been in my life. Uh, because after every sermon, she always tells me I do a good job. She always encourages me. She always tells me that, that, uh, that I, I, I did, did well. And that helps so much because God's made her my best friend. And, and God's given her to me to do that. Now, I gave you a very personal illustration for a reason. Because when we talk about focusing Focusing on your spouse. Your spouse should be your focus. You have to hone in on those good things that your spouse do. Your spouse does, excuse me. You have to hone in on those positive traits your spouse has. There is ample opportunity to focus on the negative. There's plenty of reasons to point out the obvious. And you have a unique view when you're married. You know your spouse's uh, weaknesses and propensities to fail, and you know sometimes the mistakes they're going to make before they even make them because uh, we tend to repeat the same behavior over and over. History repeats itself, and that's certainly the case in personal behavior. And so you begin to actually predict what's going to happen. You begin to predict the issue. And it's so easy to focus on those negative things But when we go back to the scripture, and if our spouse is our best friend and our spouse is our focus, then we have to focus in on the best things about them. Going on in the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 and 14 says it this way, or 14 and 15, says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. Now, again, we would do this. If If someone who was outside the faith came to our church, and they do on a regular basis, there may be some of you today that are here outside the Christian faith. We're like, hey, we want to help you. We want to help you understand this. We want to we, take your time. You're in process. Take your time getting from point A to point B. We're a family. We love you. That's the type of attitude we have towards people outside the kingdom of God. But often with our own spouse, we are so harsh. We're like, I cannot believe you did that. I, I mean, I, you did that again? Are you kidding me? What? Didn't we talk about this before? I mean, we're just so harsh. So Apply this to your marriage. Help the weak. Is there any among of us, among us who don't have weak, weak aspects about our personality and behavior? Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Is my spouse is my glory. My spouse is my glory. Now, this is a very odd and maybe even dangerous point if we don't unfold it a little bit because I'm trying to communicate something clear, but I came to Pastor David early in the week and I said, David, this is my third point. I'm like, 
I think I could come up with a better point than my spouse and my glory. He said, yeah, you could come up with a lot better point. And so we talked it out. And then David couldn't come up with a better point either. So we're on dangerous ground because we understand that glory belongs to the Lord. And we use that term, our glory is in the Lord and our glory is in him. We have hymns like, like you know, I glory only in the cross. And those are good and valuable and true. So the definition of glory that I'm talking about, you can read on the screen with me, is this. To, to glory is something that is a source of honor or admiration. Something that's a source of honor or admiration. Not idolatry and not worship. I'm going to just trust you to be able to, uh, to, to manage that difference yourself. But the idea is this, is that my spouse is my glory. I am into my spouse. I think they're great. I know that they're weak. I know their mistakes more than anybody. I understand their past. I understand their limitations. I understand their, their habits. But I think they're awesome. I think they're great. I glory in who they are. Isn't that what we all want? And that's what I want. I know, I know that that is what a woman wants in her heart. So when our spouse, we realize that our spouse is our best friend. And we change our attitude. And then we begin to focus on our best friend and we cultivate that friendship. Then we can say, my spouse is my glory someday. She, she is the one, if you can put that definition back up again just briefly. She's, I honor her. I admire her. I'm into him or I'm in, if, if you're a female or I'm into her. Whatever the case is, I glory in them. So you can tell a lot about who a man is this way. When a man has been married to a woman many years, when that woman becomes more godly, increases in beauty, I'm not talking about the beauty that comes from a plastic surgeon. I'm talking about the beauty that permeates from right here and radiates in her smile. And a woman who becomes more confident in who she is, that's the sign of a righteous man. You can tell a lot about who a man is by who the woman he's married to becomes because his spouse is his best friend and his spouse is his focus and his spouse is his glory. And God, God wants us all, all to focus on those important relationships. I'm gonna ask our musicians to join me and I wanna pray for marriages here. Father, when I say I'm praying for marriages right now, it's just not just for those who are married right now. It's for those who will be married in the future. Lord, we know that messages on marriage are complex and, and we're not prideful enough to think that we can address complex issues in 30-minute sermons. But God, we need you. And I just pray, first of all, for our attitudes. And just, the Lord wants some of you, he's dealing with your attitude towards your spouse right now. And you have not viewed your spouse as a best friend. He or she is just someone that's attached to your life. They're part of your life. But sometimes you, you invest in other relationships more than in your own spouse. Maybe the relationships that are, are even family bonds. And it's, you don't have, it's okay. You don't have to destroy all those relationships necessarily. 
The Lord just wants you to change your attitude about your marriage today. I pray for those who are single, who are seeking marriages in the future. Jesus, let them not be deceived. Let them start out the right way with the right perspective. So we believe that. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Jesus. I'm going to ask our ushers to position themselves because to, for communion because today we have a chance to take communion together as a body. I'm so glad we're doing that because we learn when we take communion as a body that we're all equal at the cross. Single, married, divorced. It doesn't matter. Under Jesus, we're all equal ground. And we come before him. We come before him as a body of Christ, united as a body in who we are. Moving forward because his grace gives us new strength for the next day. So I've prayed for a marriage just now. Now I want you to use the next few minutes to reflect on yourself. I want you to expand your heart and open your heart beyond just this marriage issue. And let's look at the heart issue. The heart is very sinful and the heart strays from God. There's lots of reasons the heart stray from God. Simply living in this world where sin is so strong and evil is so prevalent, our hearts will stray from God. It just will. And so communion brings us back to the cross and it centers us on Jesus. And even for some of us who marriage has become idolatry to us, the, the communion today will remind us that life is about Jesus. That's what it's about. We honor the institution of marriage, but we don't idolize it. We worship only him. We worship only him and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else we need is added to us at the right time, the right season. The Lord is good in that. So what's gonna happen is that I want you to hold the bread. I want you to hold the cup. I want you to meditate, meditate on your heart, examine your heart to see if there's anything you need to repent of. And before we eat the bread or drink the cup, I'm gonna come back and all of us together are going to have a chance to repent. So as Melissa ministers. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. 